Welcome to Revival from the Bible, a daily devotional podcast designed to help more people get into God's Word and get more out of the Word. I'm Ben Blakey. Today's passage is Exodus 1 and 2. Welcome to Exodus, the second book in the Old Testament. Now, as we go through these first five books of the Old Testament, it's good for us to remember that while these are different books, they are linked together in these first five books of the Bible, sometimes referred to as the books of Moses, sometimes referred to as the Torah. Uh, These books were given to the Israelites in that period of time between Egypt and before going into the promised land. So while they are distinct books, they are all connected. And even as we go through the Old Testament, you're not going to notice this until uh, after the book of Judges, when you're like, wait, where's where's Ruth? I, we're going to go in a little different order through the Old Testament. And, and that's because we're going to go through in the order that probably would have been more familiar to Jesus and to the apostles. Uh, they really grouped the Old Testament into three groups, uh, the law, the prophets, and the writings. That's how they organized the Old Testament. The Old Testament that you have in your English Bible today has all of the same material. Nothing has been taken out or added, but somewhere along the line, uh, some things in the Old Testament got rearranged. And so we'll go through in the order that most likely would have been more familiar to Jesus and to the apostles and help us to think through the Old Testament in those categories that would have been more familiar to them. But right now we are still in the law. We are in the first five books of the Bible. And one theme that we have seen in Genesis is God is someone who makes promises and keeps promises. And that is something we're going to continue to see in Exodus. But one thing that's going to be highlighted, especially early on in the first half of Genesis, is that God being a promise keeper is really what causes God to be something else. And that is a deliverer. Our God is a God who saves. And we're going to see this incredible act of salvation that God does to bring his people out of slavery in Egypt and set them on their way toward the promised land. And in many ways, this is a picture of what we can relate to, that God has set us free from slavery. God has set us free from bondage towards sin. And now we are citizens of his kingdom. So even as we look at Exodus 1 and 2, I want to highlight just that big picture, macro level, promise keeping nature of God that leads him to be a deliverer. So even in those first few verses, it reminds us of the sons of Jacob and reminds us of the 70 persons who go down to Egypt as they discover Joseph. Really, again, they are reunited with Joseph and Joseph then brings the whole family down to survive this famine. And now they are in Egypt and God has said that he will bless them there. And verse seven tells us about how God did that. But the people of Israel were fruitful and increased greatly. They multiplied and grew exceedingly strong so that the land was filled with them. So that verse records God fulfilling his promises. But enter the trouble. 
enter the problems. There arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. That's kind of ominous. And then we will see some of the very wicked things that are done. We'll come back and review that in a moment. But if you shift all the way to the end of our reading today, the end of chapter 2, it talks about how the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. And then it says their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God and God heard their groaning and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel and God knew. So there we see God remembers his covenant. Now, that does not mean God was like, oh, yeah, my bad. I totally forgot about that. When we see that phrase, God remembered, it's not speaking like we would maybe about ourselves. Oh, yeah, I forgot about that. And then I remembered. It's really speaking of God moving towards his people with favor to bless them. And so God is now moving for forward towards his people to fulfill the promise that he made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God sees and God knows and God moves. That's what we're going to see then starting in chapter three. God starts bringing about this deliverance. And even we see God preparing the way for that in Exodus one and two by starting to prepare this man who will lead that effort, Moses. But as we think through some words that we've talked about in the book of Genesis on our journey through the Old Testament so far, we've talked about how it's helpful sometimes to ask, what did I learn or how can I worship or what can I apply from what we have read? And I do think today we should, when we ask the question, how can I worship God? Exodus should start us to get, start to get us in a frame of mind where we are worshiping God for being a deliverer. We are seeing God remember his promises. We are seeing God start to act to deliver people from slavery and from trouble. And if you are a Christian, that is something that you can personally relate to because God has delivered you from slavery. God has delivered you from bondage. God has delivered you from trouble. So we should worship God in response to what we read here in Exodus 1 and 2. Now, we've talked about the very beginning and the very end of the text. When we get into some things in the middle, you see that the king of Egypt, because of his fear of the Israelites, he puts them to hard work. They become really slaves doing hard labor. But then that doesn't seem to be enough because even in that notice, God continues to bless them. They continue to multiply. So Pharaoh makes the move that he is going to have to act to really end the Israelites through ending their opportunity to continue to create offspring by eliminating the males. And he starts by saying to these midwives, if it's a son, you shall kill him. Let the daughters live, but kill the sons. Well, Fast forward this, if there's no sons, there won't be any more true Hebrew sons because they won't have Hebrew fathers. So he wants to get rid of all the boys. Now, the midwives, and it clearly credits the midwives here, saying that they feared God, and so they don't go along with what Pharaoh says, and God clearly blesses them for that. 
Now, there is one part where the midwives do not seem to be truthful with Pharaoh, and that brings up one of the great you know, Bible questions that sometimes people like to debate, well, what's going on here? And what about Rahab? Was that okay that they misdirected uh, Pharaoh or that they misdirected the king of Jericho and his soldiers? Is that okay that they did that? And that that can be an interesting question to talk about. It can also be a, a real deep question of conscience, I think, and, and personal conviction, however you may land on that question. One thing I think we should at least note is even if you think it was a good thing for uh, these midwives to misdirect Pharaoh, we have to admit that the only times we see that in the scripture are very rare and they're clearly to save somebody's life. So I do feel like I see some Christians use examples like this to really make it okay for them to lie about whatever they want or whatever they don't like. I think we need to admit, even if you're saying, hey, it was a good thing that they misdirected Pharaoh, it's got to be something we would expect to be very, very rare. But God blesses the midwives. That is clear. Uh, So Pharaoh ups his game. He tells all of his people, every son that is born to the Hebrews, you shall cast into the Nile. Now, let's just stop here. Think about what you just read. Pharaoh is telling them to throw babies into the river so that they will drown. That is heinous. That is wicked. And so when you start seeing God punish Egypt with the plagues, and even with that 10th plague of the death of the firstborn, what happens here at the beginning of the book should start to help all that follows make sense to us. It's not just, oh, well, God, he's kind of cranky and over the top. Did did you just read what they're doing to the boys? This is wicked, and God is going to step in and judge this wickedness with the appropriate level of judgment, doing what is just because he is God. Then we read about the the birth of Moses, and we we see God bless the midwives. In his own way, God blesses the family of Moses as they work to protect this child, God orchestrates the circumstances that Moses ends up growing up to some extent under the care of his mother. But then when Moses grows up, he sides really with his people, the people of Israel. And there's some commentary in Hebrews 11 that helps make that clear. He refuses to be treated like the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chooses to suffer mistreatment really with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin, but we see him here having to flee from Egypt, and we see God provide for him in the wilderness and even using this time to prepare him for what is to come, and we'll see more of that as we get into chapter 3 tomorrow. But let's not forget the big picture today as we get into the book of Exodus. God is a promise keeper, and because of that, that's going to cause God to be a deliverer. He will deliver his people in order to keep his promises. And that is something that we can worship God for. Our God is a deliverer. Our God is a God who saves. And if you're a Christian, you know that because he has saved you. Thanks for digging into God's word with me today on Revival from the Bible. For more resources, check out revivalfromthebible.com. To learn more about Compass Bible Church Treasure Valley, go to compassbible.tv. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you.